Hello, Liturgy Guy listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great episode for you. But first, I want to give something away. I'm feeling very generous right now, and I want to give away a free registration to our Young Adult Liturgy Conference coming up June 15th, 16th, and 17th here in Mundelein, Illinois, on our beautiful 1,000-acre campus. What more could you want? This is $300 right now is our early bird price, $350 after April. And you can go for free. This includes all your meals, your rooms, everything that is included in this conference you can have for free. All you have to do is go to our Twitter page, at Liturgical Inst, or just look up Liturgical Institute. And I just tweeted about this conference. And if you go there and retweet that tweet, then your name will be entered in a raffle. And whoever we choose, randomly, will get to come to this conference entirely for free. So again, just go to our Twitter page at Liturgical Inst, retweet our tweet about the conference, and you'll be entered in this raffle to win free registration to the event. That's all you have to do. Also, for those of you in the Midwest area, specifically the Madison, Wisconsin area, we are going to be doing our very first live recording of the podcast for Theology on Tap in Madison, Wisconsin on April 26th at 7 p.m. at the Brink Lounge. This is going to be a really amazing event. This is the first time we've ever done a live recording of our podcast, so we're a little nervous, a little excited, but come see us. If you're in the area, come see us. It's at the Brink Lounge in Madison, Wisconsin on April 26th. Check out our Facebook page and our Twitter account. I'll post more about this event in the coming weeks. And finally, to the topic of this week. I always thought that we did an episode about the Rite of Confirmation, but when I went back in the archives, I realized that we just kind of touched on it a little bit. We talked about maybe the sacramentals uh, of confirmation. We talked about the seven sacraments all together in one podcast, but we never went over the actual rite of confirmation. So this week, Chris walks us through the rite of confirmation, and it's really amazing, especially for those of you who are about to be confirmed or have children that are about to be confirmed. This is about the time of year that, uh, that people are going through that, that bishops are going through confirmations. This is a really important podcast for you to, to share and to be aware of, to know what's actually going on during the rite. So without further ado, episode 31 of season two of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. Now it's time for the liturgy guys. Now it's time for the liturgy guys. Now it's time for the liturgy guys. Chris, are you ready now? Ready. Whoa. Perfect timing. That was the first time you've ever been ready. Normally we have to sing a few more verses before you're ready. Yeah. Chris? Yes. What are you here for? What good are you today? Yeah, can you confirm why you're can you confirm why you're here? I can deny why. <laughs> We're going to talk about the sacrament of initiation. Oh, Come. one out of three ain't bad. Meatloaf. Confirmation. Meathead. Meathead. <laughs> confirmation. I just went to my nephew's confirmation. Oh, you and did. It was why? torture. Torture. 
all these kids lined up in the basement next to their sponsors, yelling, line up over here. There's oh, like the lady in yeah. charge. And then the music was terrible and the kids didn't know what was going on. And they all were lifeless, dead eyed fish getting oil on their heads. Fish oil. Well, whatever. <laughs> that does sound pretty boring. No, we have to rescue them from their actual experience to understand what spiritually happened. All right. Do you think baptism's boring? Well, if you're young enough, you don't really care. You just lie there and scream. <laughs> but no, now that you're older, now that you understand baptism, you think that's boring? No. It's the most exciting thing there is. Well, right. but confirmation's really exciting, too, if you know what's well, going on. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's right. See, you, if you know what's going on in confirmation, you need to know what is happening in baptism. Yeah, James Pauley talks a lot about this in terms of just You catech- can't understand yeah. confirmation without first understanding what baptism is. Would you call is. that a baptismal ecclesiology? <laughs> I, I guess I would. I probably would. <laughs> Study of the nature of the church as a baptismal people. Hmm. That, was, that wasn't on the script for today, no. Dennis. Stick to the script. What script? Baptismal ecclesiology <laughs> is a different podcast. All right. No, what is confirmation? It is the fulfillment. You have, uh, and you have to use the word baptism. You have to re- relate it to baptism. Yeah, it's the fulfillment of the sacrament of baptism. Yes. And it's an, it's an, it leaves an indelible mark. Yeah. This is how, uh, very early on in the catechism, when, when it gets to its uh, section on confirmation, this is what it says. The reception of the sacrament of confirmation is necessary for the completion of baptismal mm. grace. For by the sacrament of confirmation, the baptized are more perfectly bound to the church and are enriched with a special strength of the Holy Spirit. Hence they are, as true witnesses of Christ, more strictly obliged to spread and defend the faith by word and deed. So it's like Catholic graduation. No, no. Obligation or obliged? No, but I mean, listen to how it's describing it. Okay, so you could say in in baptism, you, uh, you receive grace, you're bound to the church, you're obliged to witness to Christ, you're obliged to spread the faith, you receive... Do you receive the Holy Spirit at baptism? Yes. Uh, yes. Part of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. See, but, but notice... <laughs> Just one wing. This, this is paragraph... This is the very first... Would you pay attention? The, this is very early on. It says... It's saying it's all these things that... It, it's true of baptism, but it's 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 an amplification. This I think is the best way to describe so it's confirmation. Like baptism to the on 11, steroids. To 11. Yes, to eleven. Yeah. Yes. Would it be something like Pentecost was to anybody? Baptism. Do people get baptized before Pentecost? They did, right? Yeah. So it, they it, get some stuff baptism, and then bam, what do they have? All these gifts of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, all of that. Pentecost yeah. See, is, there's is two. More. There's two instances where Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. One is after his resurrection. Mm-hmm. He breathes on them and gives them the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Right? But then later, there's a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and this is at Pentecost. And that takes it up to 11. Yes, yes. it does. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. See, but I think the... Because the, there what were I've, only 11 apostles at What I found most helpful <laughs> in this regard, is coming out of this paragraph, is the best way to describe confirmation is an amplification or intensification of baptism. I love it. It's so, taking baptize, baptism and doing more. All right. So say somebody's mom's listening and their kid is about to get baptized. How would you say that to a, in a 14-year-old level? What you mean we, confirmed? Oh, sorry, confirmed, not baptism. Say some kid's about to get confirmed and his mom says, hey, you should listen to this podcast. What would you tell him uh, or her? <laughs> well, 
It would be difficult for that kid or anybody to listen to this podcast or get excited about confirmation if they are not first living their baptismal identity and understanding their baptismal identity. Because if they don't care about that or understand that, well, then they're not going to care about confirmation if confirmation is a baptism amplified. But what I would say to a a kid who's all like 13, 14, full of anxiety and whatever is, they know what's wrong with them. They know what's wrong with the world. They have fears and worries about themselves, their bodies, their relationship with other people. It's the grace of God that elevates and amplifies our humanness, our, our, all our values and our powers. And the Holy Spirit can destroy those fears, fix those wounds, all that stuff. And baptism takes it to this next level. Confirmation does. Sorry, I keep saying that. Confirmation yeah. takes See, it to this See, but you're in the level. spirit, uh, Dennis. You're, you're, you're thinking <laughs> yeah. baptism. Yeah. And this, uh, let's see, what... what how do I want to say this? So the first, I think, big misconception to overcome that many 14-year-olds or their grandparents or whatever think is that confirmation is about getting the Holy Spirit. Mm. And that's... And it's not? Well, it's sort of not because you receive the Holy Spirit and his graces and his gifts already at baptism. So the, the, what you're receiving confirmation is this amplification mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's a like special... like a re- re-gifting... it's a special outpouring of the holy spirit a special anointing of the holy spirit you get it at baptism you get it in a special way uh at confirmation now dennis you uh mentioned this before is there's these two outpourings that jesus gives to the apostles the first is after the resurrection uh, he says peace be with you as the father has sent me so i send you and when he had said this he breathed on them and said Receive the Holy Spirit. Yes. Right? Uh, and if I do not go, then the, uh, the advocate will not come. Mm-hmm. So he goes, and then there's the second special outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. When the time for Pentecost was fulfilled, they were all in one place together, and suddenly there came forth from the sky a noise like a strong driving wind. There you go. And it filled the entire house in which they were. Then there appeared to them tongues as of fire, which parted and came to rest on each one of them. All right. So what I want, as we uh, try to understand this, I want to look for um, kind of the roots of this sacrament. See, what, what the sacrament does is signify pouring of the Holy Spirit, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so I want to talk about oil that's used in the sacrament of confirmation. Mm-hmm. And how it is that we've seen here already how Christ gives this special outpouring to. So kind of that we're looking at the roots of where confirmation comes from. All right. So let's start with uh, oil. What does oil signify? Healing. Okay. Makes you slippery. (laughs) Okay. Let's take each of those in turn. When do you put oil on yourself to heal? Poison ivy and my diaper rash. (laughs) I mean, a kid's diaper rash. (laughs) That's right. That's a little okay. too revealing. So if you get uh, the dry poison skin. ivy, you get dry skin, you get a rash, you get a burn, uh, you put oil or... Um, ointment. This is, ointment or Fagerberg points this out again, salve. 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 stuff. Which is the root of... Salvation. Salvation, right. So salvation is kind of the, the anointing with oil of the Holy Spirit that brings you back to But where did we get sick, Chris? Through the fall. Yeah, Adam and Eve said no to God or chose things for themselves outside of God's will and though they were still had a lot of their powers they're all out of whack and all in right relationship out of right relationship and so it's not so much that we're destroyed but we're just kind of sick at yeah. the fall and uh, 
We have to get healthy again. So confirmation is a special salve that helps complete the grace that's been received, the initial uh, grace of salvation through baptism. So if you want that salve to be really effective, you can't just put it on once, right? So you have to reapply it until the, the rash or the burn or something is gone. Now, Jesse, what did you say that oil uh, denotes? Makes you slippery. Makes you slippery, right? Hard so to get. It signifies uh, strength, right? So I, I don't know. They used to have uh, on ABC's Wild World of Sports, Worldwide sports, man. They used to have like, weightlifting and things like that. Yeah, wrestling. you got to do that more than once. So, uh, what oil does? So, if you put oil on, uh, you know, you're a bodybuilder or a wrestler or something like that, it makes you know okay, your rip muscles shine mm. a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's also hard like to. That. It's also hard to grab onto someone who's oily, right? So, if you're a grappler, you can't grab and grapple and wrestle with someone if you can slip out of their hands. Or what, if you're what? participating in a grease pig contest. <laughs> Very true. Mm-hmm. Grease pig as uh, uh, it was informing a wide, <laughs> wide world of sports. By a the liturgical way. metaphor of sorts. Okay. Yeah. What, where, what else do you know about oil? Uh, it smells good. Okay, so it uh, signifies beauty. So mm-hmm. before, if you were ever to take your wife out on a date, Jesse, mm-hmm. right? oil her up. So <laughs> she may put on oil, oil of Olay. Do you remember what oil of Olay is? No, I don't know what that is. Face cream. Yeah, it's like face cream Mm -hmm. or beauty cream or lotion or something like that. So before you you go out, they get you all uh, to look pretty and smell good and things like that. In the ancient world, they used to get scraped down with these little scrapers uh, and then they would have their skin oiled. It was sort of, it was a thing you did in the the Roman baths. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So people who smelled like sweet oil and were sort of glistening and not dried out and hard workers, they were like the queens who weren't... uh, you know, out in the field, but they were of this elevated status. So, so there's beauty element too. Beauty element. So confirmation makes you beautiful, radiant, refulgent, beautiful. refulgent. Yeah. Okay. What do you put on your uh, uh, on oil? Your, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're going to ask, but I think what you put on your so, okay on your deck uh, on the back side of the house stand. What does it do? Waterproof. Waterproofs, right? So it protects it oh, as yeah. well. From, so that the waters of baptism can't get you where they're you down. You've already gotten the waters <laughs> oh, okay, of baptism. Got it. Okay, so it uh, seals. Um, what uh, you get a? You ever had a real bad sunburn and you put uh, uh, like aloe or something? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the there's a psalm. Soothing. There's a psalm or something like uh, the 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 plants the the trees are. They're still full of sap, still oh, green. green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, oil, like plant oil, which is what uh, uh, olive oil is, is uh, mm-hmm. it signifies uh, the lifeblood of, of uh, plants. For example, uh, what else can we say? Okay, so what does oil signify? But protection, life, strength, beauty, aroma, salve, salvation. So all of these meanings that are accrued with oil is what confirmation is going to mean when one gets uh, anointed. Could by you talk it. about king and priest and anointed one and all of that in you relation could, to uh, it? Uh, at least, I suppose if, um, you know, after the baby gets uh, baptized, there's, they're anointed with sacred chrism, and the prayer says something like, uh, as Jesus was prophet, priest, and king through this holy anointing, may you come to share in his uh, uh, offices. And so if confirmation is an amplification of baptism, those three offices that you received are to, amplified as well. Are amplified as well to, to proclaim the faith, to, uh, to worship, and to serve others, right? So confirmation programs are famous or infamous, however you want to say it about. You have to do a service project. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, part of that, that's from the kingly munus of Jesus that is supposed to be amplified now that you get confirmed. 
What's a, okay. what's a moon is? It, it's an office or a oh, worker attached yeah. things. Yeah. Okay. All right. And so oil is part of the matter of confirmation, which is also done with uh, the laying on of the hands. There's an early, let's see, there's an early, yeah, here it is in, uh, I think this is Acts of the Apostles 8. It says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had not accepted the word of God, they sent them to Peter and John, who went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for it had not yet followed upon any of them. They had only been baptized. So there is this post-baptismal outpouring, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's associated with laying on of the hands. The letter to the Hebrews says, the basic teaching about Christ, the foundations are repentance from dead works and faith in God, instruction about baptisms, and laying on of the hands. So we see from the scriptures and from just the natural world that these meanings of uh, oil and the laying on of the hands to bestow the Holy Spirit are there. So you can say there's a biblical foundation for a confirmation yes. and it's not just made up by yes. the medieval church or something? Yes, that's what you have to say. Okay, good. Now, but the who's the the... the the major foundation for confirmation is whom? The Holy Jesus. Jesus. Oh, well, always. Yeah, Jesus, right. All right. So uh, we mentioned this before. Je- uh, the, Jesus breathes upon them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. But this is another um, interesting thing that our, this is from a student, David Augustine, an alum of the Liturgical Institute. Perhaps the smartest man in the world. <laughs> David is a very, That's not, that very, is not a lie. He's no, incredibly smart. He's a doctoral student person. at Catholic University of America yes. now. And he wrote this uh, recent article for Minata Ramos about um, the return of the glory of the Lord and the cloud and the fire. And to try to keep this brief, is that um, the Jews at the time of Christ, even though they had been repatriated from the, if that's the right term, from the Babylonian captivity. Brought back to their homeland. And they had the temple. There still wasn't this uh, this cloud and this fire that whenever in the old uh, before this, whenever uh, a, a sacrifice was offered, there was this consuming fire that would come down and take uh, it, it burn up the offerings. Well, the temple was there, but they were still waiting for this descent of the glory of the mm-hmm. Lord. And what David points out through the some theologians in the tradition is that the coming of Jesus is the return of the glory, the return of of the presence of divinity. And the Holy Spirit then will be the consuming fire. And where does the Holy Spirit come from? This is what's really cool about his uh, uh, article, is he says that, uh, so we believe that the Holy Spirit is not, uh, what, what do we say, he proceeds from the Father and the Son. He's not generated and he's not born, right? So, what David is trying to show is that is there um, in the human world, can you think of any human beings who came to be without being born? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are by your two only guesses. No belly buttons. And he's, that's right. So he says when Jesus, who's the second Adam, he says something parallel here. Jesus, the second Adam. So as he is on the cross, his rib is open, and Eve is drawn out of that. She's not born, but she's... She uh, proceeds from him. Well, in a certain way, yes. And what, uh, what David points out is some of the theologians see in the new Adam on the cross is that from his side comes the Holy Spirit. And so one of these theologians says, calls the Holy Spirit the costa verbi, or the rib of the word. The Mm. Holy Spirit's going to be poured out from the rib. And what he goes on further to say is that he comes out in the form of a river of fire. Mm. A river of fire. So when you see, imagine you're you're seeing uh, Christ on the cross and you see this 
stream of blood coming down, that is a river of fire, which is the Holy Spirit. Which is life. The Holy Spirit's called the river of the water of life. Okay. Now, so think then about what happens in confirmation is that we're trying to find outward signs and symbols to bear these meanings, right? So when the tongues come to descend upon the apostles and tongues, tongues of fire, of fire need, need to clarify that. So this is the this is the the fire of the Holy Spirit hmm. that's being poured on them. Okay, so the sacrament of confirmation uh, through the oil and the laying on of the hands and the formula gives a special outpouring of this fire. So these kids who are fish-eyed and uh, not wanting to be there because this is boring, if they knew that they were going to go upstairs and the bishop was going to, in a certain sense, breathe on them and pour fire on them, ouch! this would make their ears prick up a little bit. <laughs> okay. okay, so here comes the right. Here comes the right, and we're going to see how this happens. So uh, after the homily, each of the candidates is called, and ideally by name. So the pastor or the coordinator would present these to the bishop, ideally by name, because even though all this happens in the mystical body of Christ, it's a very individual thing. Just like when you were baptized, they said, what name do you give this child? Denise McNamara. Denise okay. McNamara. So now when we come to confirmation, which is gonna amplify that baptism, they're gonna call the name Denise McNamara. Okay. You please come forward, Chris, okay, this is a wound for me, okay. <laughs> Is it a fiery wound? I have only one N in my name. We are going to put salve on this. Every year in elementary school, the teacher would call roll the first day, and she would say, Denise, are you here, Denise? And I'd be, where's my hand? Everybody would giggle because I got the girl's (laughs) name. So when you call me Denise, it's bringing up stuff. So yeah, let's let's get the Holy Spirit to heal this up for me. Okay, all right. So you're called by name, just like a baptism. You renew your your baptismal promises associating with baptism. Amen, I do, In some places, in some places they will vest the confirmation candidates in an alb mm. partly partly to, to show the relationship that confirmation has to baptism partly because not all adolescents who show up for confirmation are dressed, are dressed appropriately, appropriately so or their sponsors mm, yeah. <laughs> and who's your sponsor supposed to be a baptized adult. Confirmed. Yes. Who's your confirmation sponsor, ideally? Somebody. Your godparent? Your, your baptismal godparent. Oh. Wait, what? Yes. Really? I did not know I that. I think that's right. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Well, so you, sense, you yeah. see all of these associations with, it does make sense. It only makes sense, in fact, in light of baptism. Okay. So then there's this, after the renewal of baptismal promises, there's the, the bishop and the other priests, they kind of extend their hands collectively over the group. Sometimes they'll come up and they'll lay hands individually, but generally it's an it's a extending of hands over the whole group. And then the person comes forward and the bishop lays his, I guess it's his right hand, on the head of the person. And with that right thumb then, that's been dipped in chrism oil, he'll mark them with the sign of the cross and say, Dennis. Yes. Dennis Robert, be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you say, amen. Amen. And then the bishop says, peace be with you. And you say, and with your spirit. And with your spirit. Okay. So uh, notice the roots, though, to the breathing and the fire, right? So how did the chrism, we talked about this in another podcast, how did the bishop make that chrism? He breathed on it. He breathed on it. So 
as Jesus breathed on the apostles and, and he says, peace be with you, mm-hmm. receive the Holy Spirit. This is what's happening So now. how come does he, he doesn't breathe on them during, I'm, I'm not trying <laughs> no, to be funny. No, but like, no, but it is kind of funny. It's already, imagine if it's that in the were, oil, right? If that were, yeah, can you imagine if the, the matter in the form of the person coming up and the bishop goes, <gasps> <laughs> Well, I've noticed that that's a system, how the church distributes stuff grace right so like the old kiss of peace before the second vatican council they would the priest would kiss the altar receive the peace from christ and then hand it to the deacon and the deacon would then give the kiss a piece to the subdeacon so we get it from jesus and then we pass it mm-hmm. along mm-hmm. so the chrism in this case is breathed over by the bishop and i think if i remember right the prayer actually says may this oil like carry the presence of god mm-hmm. or whatever and then it's given by the bishop to the next person and then hopefully they carry it on yeah, I, th- I think that that's the linear structure. So yeah. the, the bishop has breathed the Holy Spirit into the chrism, and now when he anoints it is anoints the person in confirmation, it is a sacramentalization of Jesus breathing the Holy Spirit and his peace onto uh, the recipient. And it's a fulfillment of the, that oil, too, because that's what that oil is supposed to be used for. Right, it yeah, finds it's, its whole there, yeah, it's telos. Yeah. And at the same time, with the laying on of the hand and the giving of the Holy Spirit is kind of the, the imparting of the tongues of fire. It's the application, it's the, the anointing of a river. The bishop is putting his thumb in a river of fire, mm-hmm. and he's going to anoint that person with the river of fire, which is the Holy Spirit, the tongues of where is, uh, Where are you anointed in baptism versus where you're anointed in confirmation? Is it the same place on the head I don't with the think chrism? it is. I think the... The baptism is on the crown of the head. Uh, with the confirmation, it's more on the forehead. Do you know anything about that, why that is? Or? Well, I think initially the, the imparting of the Holy Spirit was done through the laying on of the hand. So if I have my hand on top of your head, I can't mm-hmm. at the same, and then a little bit later the catechism will say, join to that to make the reality more visible, more okay. significant, uh, the anointing was added to it. But I suppose it's just impossible to have your hand on the bishop's hand on your head yeah. and hand him to anoint that same <laughs> yeah. time. So with the one hand is on your head, with the thumb you're being anointed on the forehead. Got it. Okay. So that is a confirmation. What does it do? It strengthens, it beautifies, it perfects. Amplifies. It amplifies, it seals, it uh, pours fi- the fire of the Holy Spirit on you. It gives the Lord's peace to you. All of those things through sacramental signs. All right. I think we should answer a liturgy question. So you guys know that we love the Liturgical Institute and we love everything that we do here. But you know who else loves the Liturgical Institute? Yeah, Bishop Robert Barron. And guess what he has to say about it? Well, I've known the Liturgical Institute from the very beginning. I was at Mundelein on the faculty in 2000 when it started. I knew Monsignor Mannion very well, who was the founder. Uh, Dr. McNamara, who was with him from the beginning, I've known. We've become good friends. I've spoken many times there. I've known all the faculty members. I've known many of the students. So I, I know from the ground up what the, um, the LI does. And they introduce people into the beauty of the church's intellectual tradition and liturgical tradition. And um, I don't know in the country a better place to go to get immersed precisely in that aesthetic dimension and the intellectual than the LI. So, you know, I'm a big fan. Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? Uh, Dennis, 
Yes, Jesse. You have uh, you have a you have brought in a question to us. You have never seen my phone light up yeah. like when we asked that question about self-communicating extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion. Few, oh yeah, what few episodes ago? What happened? Did we say something wrong? Well, it brought up all the other places of possible seeming self-communication okay. that we never thought existed. And this one, similarly, is if a layperson is leading a communion service. So that's you know. Mm-hmm. The communion, the distribution of communion, in the absence of a priest, does that person self-communicate if it's their one time of the day? So I would, normally I mean, the priest would receive and then start the process. Does the person leading that, if it's a lay person, uh, self-communicate? Chris, what do you say? It all depends. Oh, my answer was going right. to be no, but... Chris yeah, never gives the yes or no. Well, there's so few questions are yes or no questions. There's uh, one of the canons in the Code of Canon Law, I don't remember which one it is, says that uh, a Catholic, let's say a, a lay person, I don't know about a deacon here, can receive... Well, the question's well, lay Let's person. say lay person, okay. Yeah. Can receive communion twice in a day, but the second time must be in the context of Mass. Right? So the, you can receive communion twice in a day, but the second time must be in Mass. And it's ordinal in that way, that it can't be the first time has to be... Or in one the of the two times. One of the yeah. two times, or the well, second the one. second time. Uh, let's see. I, I think, think we're matters. getting off track here. The question okay. is: it's the question that you're receiving no. communion once, not two oh, times. Oh, okay. Just well, once. Well, but you're, this you're, is important, though. This is you're this the leader of the seven a.m. communion you service. One do you self-communicate? Into two or do you not? <laughs> yes, you can communicate. There's a right to be followed called liturgy of the word with the distribution of Holy Communion. And it's in a ritual book called Holy Communion and Worship of the Eucharist Outside of Mass, chapter mm-hmm. one. And it explains what, it, another, it explains how a lay person would lead a liturgy of the word with the distribution of Holy Communion. And it say at the end that the minister would receive communion and then distribute it to another. Okay, that's how would that, you can how do would that, this. How would Chris that minister Claire. receive communion? By taking communion and receiving it and, and putting the, the host in his or her mouth. All right. Ooh. Do you think that answers your I, friend's question? Do you think I that think makes it, more questions? I th- no, I think that, yeah, that was the question. I hope that no more questions come out of this answer. <laughs> That's what I hope. But you should see my phone. How it lit up. <laughs> if you do have questions, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com. Thank you, and God bless. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. Now that's a podcast.